cars toppled, buildings entirely crushed and crumbled. I'm not sure if it's safe to report from my vantage point. I, I really need to leave. So the fences inform me that the surrounding areas are, are in ruin. I, I see some people running now. In the opinion of this reporter, if this nation, or in fact the world, ever needed heroes, that time is now. That time is now. though, so I'll have to kind of do it on the fly. I, I, I never do, so okay. Really? Oh, well, that, no. that explains the last three years. Yes, it does. <laughs> Hello, and welcome to another exciting episode of the Fire and Water podcast, the official podcast of AquamanShrine.net and FirestormFan.com. I'm one of your hosts, the Irredeemable Shag from Firestorm Fan. Along with me, as always, is my co-host, the Aquanaut, Rob Kelly from Aquaman Shrine. How you doing, buddy? I totally didn't know we were starting. You just jumped right into it. You're, 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 <laughs> Let's do this. Let's After three this. years, you keep this relationship fresh. Uh, yeah. One of the things I'm wondering about, Shag, is what huge news is going to break five minutes after we're done recording this <laughs> It Probably Robbie ML will sign for the spinoff. Uh, the the uh, Flash spinoff series that's in the works right now. I'm thinking like an Aquaman musical or just something huge will break the minute we're done here because that seems to and you'll have to record yet another intro apologizing when we're not up to date. So or maybe DC will announce a new book called Fire and Water. Firestorm oh. and Aquaman. <laughs> that would be the best thing ever. It's a perfect pairing. It just makes sense. That's right. Well, folks, uh, we are back for another episode, our, our monthly review episode, where we cover the current issue of Aquaman on the Stands and a classic issue of Fury of Firestorm. But today's a twofer. Twofer, I tell you. You're getting not only issue 19 of Fury of Firestorm, but you're also going to get annual number one. And those are actually in reverse order. But in the meantime, folks, we're going to give a shout-out to our sponsor. This episode of Fire & Water Podcast is sponsored in part by InStockTrades.com. InStockTrades is your best online source for trades, hardcovers, and other collected editions, all for up to 42% off, with free shipping for orders of $50 or more. What you got, my good friend? Well, considering uh, I think the uh, legendary Gene Coleman is going to take a couple of hits later on in the show, <laughs> I thought it would be good to plug him because I'm a huge fan, as anyone who listens to the Who's Who show knows. So I'm going to plug Tales of the Batman Gene Colan Hardcover, Volume 1. Uh, this is for the first time DC Comics collects the moody Batman stories drawn by comics legend Gene Colan, where the appearances by some of Batman's greatest foes, including Man-Bat, 
the monk, <laughs> putting the monk on that list is a little much. Rupert Thorne and more. It collects Batman number 340, 343 through 345, 348 through 351, and Detective 510, 512, 517, 528, and 529. The cover is great. It's by Gene Collin and Dick Giordano. 288 pages, hardcover, full color, normal price $39.99. In-stock trades price $21.99. That's 45% off. Super cool book. I love Gene Collins' work, and he's great on Batman. So this is a really fun little volume. Awesome. Sounds good. Well, uh, in the spirit of uh, – we're going to cover an issue in a little bit starring um, – or with art featured by Gene Colan, and Gene might take a few hits. I picked a Gene Colan-specific comic. Um, <laughs> you like that? Uh, Marvel Masterworks Submariner, Volume 2 and Volume 3. These are hardcovers out there on In Stock Trades right now. Now, he didn't draw the whole thing, so to be fair, you've got a whole collection of different folks. I mean, writers, you've got Stan Lee, Roy Thomas, Archie Goodwin, uh, and more Roy Thomas. And art, you've got Bill Everett, you've got Dan Atkins, Gene Colan, John Buscema, Maurice Severn, just tons and tons of amazing artists. I, I was a big fan of the old Namor comic, like the one from, this is, this is from 1968 when this series premiered. They re, uh, reprinted these in the 80s, and that's where I got my hands on them. Love this comic. Love the old classic Namor stuff. So I uh, definitely pick these up. They normally go for fifty four ninety nine because again, these are the, well, these are the masterworks, big right, fat right, hardcovers, right. archival paper. They're like DC's archives. Um, normally fifty four ninety nine. You can get them for forty five percent off right now. So that's thirty dollars and twenty four cents a piece. Two hundred and forty pages in one of them. Two hundred and seventy two pages in the other. That is a steal, my friend. That is some incredible Prince of Namor action. And I know uh, Diablo Frank's probably freaking out because we're plugging Namor on an Aquaman podcast. But, again, folks, uh, that's our little pat on the back to Gene Colan because he is an amazing artist. You can also find some great Daredevil trades out there with him as well. Again, it's In Stock Trades, your best online source for trades, hardcovers, and other collected editions, all for up to 42% off with free shipping for orders of $50 or more. Now, I myself am probably going to be ordering something from In Stock Trades soon because I am a dollar richer. <laughs> On our last episode, you may have heard us go back and forth about a, a bet we had where Rob bet me that Aquaman was going to look all orangey and clean cut in the Justice League movie, and he was dead wrong. So, As I cop to in the stinger. Yes, it was hilarious. And then he makes this big deal about he's going to send me the money, right? And he didn't. He t- I got the package in the mail, and he totally welched on his bet, so I called him on it. Wait, so what I- package are you referring to? Nobody knows what you're talking about. I was just going to leave it be, but okay. It's an, to tell him. Tell him what it is. It is an unbelievable gift that uh, was sent to Rob to bestow upon me. It is a gorgeous, gorgeous, gorgeous sketch of Firestorm by Mr. Dan Jurgens, And it does say, let's see what it says. Word for word, it says, for Shag with Best Witches, Dan Jurgens, And the, and the, other, and the cover piece said... Um, Thanks for the support. So, wow, that just made my heart soar. Yeah, to be clear, he did one for me as well of Aquaman. Uh, he, he signed uh, two copies of the Aquaman and the others trade as part of the contest that the Shrine did. And then he stuck in these sketches, which he did not tell me he was going to do. These really beautiful headshots, uh, which uh, we'll both put up on our, our blogs at some oh, point. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, but, yeah, yeah. so I sent that to Shag. And so, yeah, and I forgot to include the, the dollar. So go ahead, Shag. <laughs> but he did. I, I gave him a bunch of riffing for it and told him I was going to call him a Welsher on the podcast. But he did <laughs> send it to me via PayPal, $1 via PayPal. I almost fell out of my seat laughing so hard. So I'm a dollar richer, so I probably will be ordering something off in stock trades. 
You could get four quarter bank comics. I could. I could go quarter. Well, not with PayPal. I'm not going to walk up to a comic book store and go, hey, I've been in your quarter bin. You take PayPal? It's not going to fly. So. Anyway. Well, they got to get with the times. Yeah, I they, t- should get, they should get square or something. They, I suppose so. I suppose so. But in the interest of time, because we have three, count them, three comics to cover this time out, why don't we uh, dive right in here? We're going to talk to some guy that talks to fish? Is that right? Yes, Aquaman uh, number 39, Maelstrom Part 5 by Parker Pelletier, uh, Sandra Hope, Wayne Foucher, and uh, I forget the name of the colorist here. Oh, Peter Pantazies. So you had Park. I'm glad you had to say that, not me. Parker Pelletier Pantazies. No, no Parsons this time. Unfortunately, we're missing out on all the alliteration. Although he did do the cover. Uh, like I said, this is Maelstrom Part Five. It picks up, of course, where the last one left off, where they're in this uh, Aquaman and Mirror have landed in this uh, backwards dimension here, and they meet Atlanta. And uh, she, uh, yes, and she attacks, of course, as she does, because she's like crazy savage woman. Aquaman fights his way through uh, her main goon, which is this guy named Gonto, punches him. He gets up to Atlanta, gets on, gets close enough to her to tell her that he is her son. She does not believe it. She uses this powerful scepter she has to blast both Aquaman and Mira, and um, that knocks them both out. They drag them into this vault, back into this giant mountain, where inside is a giant volcano god named Karaku. Uh, Aquaman and Mira manage to escape Gantu, and they take off. They grab her, uh, Atlanta's, like, right-hand woman, uh, and they, they take off, and Atlanta is still does not book work believe that Aquaman is her son. Now, at this point, um, there is a whole lot of pipe being laid here. Uh, uh, back story. I mean, there's more pipe being laid here than Warren Beatty in 1972. So, oh, on and on for a long while where we explain about how I got here and Atlanta and her whole bit. So finally, they Atlanta finds Aquaman and Mira again. She attacks one more time. At that exact moment, the portal dimension, the, the, uh, the dimensional portal thing, the uh, using the maelstrom, opens up again and out comes uh, some of the Atlantean forces, including Tula. They get into a giant fight and then trouble really starts when the entire mountain comes alive and the end of the issue is, is this giant volcano which is now a sentient being about to attack everybody and it ends with Mira saying things just got worse and that is the conclusion to Maelstrom Part 5 That was a fast recap Thank you uh, Yeah, this was the first issue of the Maelstrom story that I really didn't care for uh, I just it felt got so bogged down with explanation that I just really started zoning out. And it's probably like almost the first issue of the series that Parker's written that I didn't really like all that much. It just, I just felt like it just got so slowed down by characters going, well, as you know, blah, 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 blah. And even though you've got this one character explaining things to Aquaman and Mirror, it just felt like the whole thing really dragged for me. There's just a lot of explanation. Um, and I guess I was maybe hoping that Maelstrom would wrap up here so we could get a, a single issue by the guys before the new team takes over, but that's not going to happen. So, you know, I, I, I don't know. I just was just kind of overall a little, little disappointed. Well, everyone's entitled to their own opinion, and that's fine. And you're allowed to have that opinion. It's your wrong. Account. It's wrong. Yeah, there you go. Okay. But uh, you're entitled to have and, and entitled to be wrong. This is a great. This is a fun issue. Uh, I, I won't say great, but I will say it's a, it's a really fun issue. First of all, the cover. The cover's great. Great cover. I, yeah. I have to say, Aquaman's mom is smoking hot. I mean, she just is. They draw the way they draw her. She's stacked like the Library of Congress. She's got the you know the orange scale armor. You know, there's hints of the Aquaman costume in there. It just looks great. She looks absolutely gorgeous. 
And, and she looks like a total badass, too. You know. Anyway, you get into the story. I love all the animals and stuff. All, all, throughout the issue, there's all these Atlantean, you know, we'll call it the Atlantean Scartaris, for lack of a better term, uh, where th- that she is talking to. Uh, did you notice the scene where she commands the animals to attack? She voo-voo-voo-voos them? Yes. Okay. So you see the but it's not sea creatures she's talking to. It's land creatures, but they're of Atlantean descent sort of thing, which was cool. I love the inking in the first half of the book, by the way. I guess this is probably Hope. Um, Hope. Yeah, uh, I'm thinking Sandra Hope did the first part, and then the other guys did the second part. Now, it's, it's distinctly different than the previous Pelletier inking by Parsons. Um, and it's not a knock at Parsons, but I love this first half of the book. I think it looks gorgeous. Mm-hmm. The detail, like when, when Aquaman's leaping away from Mara and he's cracking a joke where she says, you know, she, uh, that the mom looks great. And he says, where do you think I get it from? Mm-hmm. Just a look on his face, to me, that looks more like, that almost looks like an Ivan Reese kind of Aquaman, you know? Um, the face just looks great. Really classic Aquaman. So anyway, I, I'm into that. I enjoyed the, I'm, I was fine with the fighty, fighty fight. Now, the big thing about, uh, Atlanta that you didn't really touch on was where she's saying that Aquaman's not really her son. The the henchwoman says, no, I think she knows you are her son. Right. So there is a bit where she says, no, I think she knows you're her son. And I think what they're trying to say is she can't face the fact that Aquaman really is her son. Because that means if Arthur is alive, that means that she murdered her husband. She stabbed him through the friggin' chest. In, in, incorrectly, or, or for the you know, shouldn't have done that. She she was wrong to murder her husband. I mean, he was obviously a bad person, but she murdered him because she thought he had murdered her ex lover and and child. So she's sort of like faced with this issue now. It's an inter- well, you're not seeing it's all implicit in this in the story. It's not right there in your face. So maybe I'm reading more into it than is really there. But I think that's where her rage is coming from because she's realized what she's done wrong all these years. It was based on an, an incorrect belief. So I think that's part of what's going on. Uh, what else? The, the volcano god is like the coolest thing ever. It is such a comic book thing to have a giant volcano god inside there who's angry and it comes out later to attack them. Like, it's hokey, but I'm into it. I'm totally into it. Cause he, yeah, I, I did mention they, they brought Aquaman and Mira there to sacrifice them, to appease the volcano god. Yeah, and, and it also like sort of makes sense. It's where the fire trolls come from. Because, you know, you see all the fire trolls there on the bottom underneath the volcano god. And it's like, oh, this is where the fire trolls come from. That makes perfect sense. I'm into that. Mm-hmm. See what else? Okay, so we talked about the voo 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 thing with the with the animals. Uh, the animals are. I love the the red beaked bird creature and the giant turtle. I mean, there because this is where I felt like you got back to Parker's monster hunting. Because now Arthur's fighting giant monsters. He's fighting a giant turtle. He's fighting a giant, you know, beaked dragon creature. It's like, oh, this is this is the monster hunting stuff. Perfect. Then I, I didn't really care one way or another when the Atlanteans showed up. I mean, it was fine. It kind of moved the story along. But um, I mean, I guess maybe I, I sounded more harsh. I mean, too, like it, it. I didn't. I didn't hate it or anything like that. I like the little bit. See that the uh, her right hand person here, Lanu, has got purple eyes. So yes. Oh, there's a whole thing about the purple eyes. Yeah. Yeah, the whole thing with purple eyes. I guess I'm just more had issue with the pacing. That I feel like as the story reaches its conclusion, its pace should pick up. And here, I felt like it slowed down to have. A couple of pages of Atlanta just explaining to Lanu, who already knows all this stuff, the history of what happened. And it's like, well, she already knows. Why are you telling her this? Because she thinks Aquaman is unconscious. She's not talking to Aquaman. So it's, it just felt like just a weird pacing bit. But, hmm. yeah. It didn't bother me at all. Okay. So in that part where she explains everything, 
It's only a panel and a half. It feels like it may be a few pages, but <laughs> it's only a panel and a half, man. And then, um, well, no, I guess she did talk. Never mind. There was a page where she was kind of rambling. That's true. Yeah. But I, I enjoyed it. I think the art was great. Like for me, this, I, I'm, you know, if this is the way they're going to go out, you know, assuming next issue keeps up the quality, I'm fine with it. You know, it's, I, I enjoyed this more than I enjoyed the Gorilla Grodd issue. I mean, the Grodd issue was fun. I had a great time with it. But this one, to me, was more, I felt like the story is finally happening. been waiting five issues for this, mm. you know. I, I hope there's some sort of reconciliation between Atlanta and Aquaman. I hope, um, I hope Aquaman, or I hope Atlanta doesn't die, because I think that would be kind of a, that would suck. Being that, you know, they, they brought her back for the first time ever. It would be neat to have her actually sort of, not hanging out with him and, you know, bringing him milk and cookies at bedtime, but just maybe in the other, you know, the Atlantean Scartaris universe and every once in a while they bump into her or something. So I'm down with it. Yeah. I, I said, I hope they would do just a one-off to, to, uh, before the team leaves. I, the other thing, I guess overall, and I didn't know this going in because we didn't know that this team was leaving, but that like, you know, when Maelstrom concludes, which will be next month, that'll be Maelstrom part six. Mm-hmm. That means Aquaman has gone half a year without doing anything heroic. What do you mean by heroic? Mm. He, he's a superhero, and he's been he's been on a quest six months to find his mommy. Well, he beat, and, he beat down Gorilla Grodd. Well, but that but that's on a quest though to find his mother. And Grodd was technically a prisoner already, so that's yeah. Nice. I mean, it's <laughs> I, and he called me crazy, but I thought I like superheroes to do heroic things, not just go on journeys where they're all about like that. To uh, me, that was then you know, you know what you should probably um yeah I can see why you'd feel that way. You should probably just throw away those quest for Mara issues then. Or search for Mara issues, because that's kind of the same thing, right? It is. I guess so. Yeah, you must hate those, huh? I do hate those. Oh, bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> Liar. They're your favorite Aquaman comics but, ever. But Mira, but, Mira was, but Mira was kidnapped. Uh-huh. But that's that's a little different. Rescuing someone who's being kidnapped, is a, I would consider that a heroic act. Yeah. This is just, this is just, I can't, I have to find out what happened to my mom. I bought my daughter a bike this week, and... Hers doesn't backpedal as easily as you just did, so uh, I'm just saying. I don't know. I'm saying finding someone who's been kidnapped, I would consider a heroic act. Being obsessed with what happened to your long dead mother, and then finding out that she's in fact not dead, and going on this whole trip. I don't know. I'm fine with it. I think you're. Okay. I, I, I think you're. I think you're frustrated with a lot of what's going on, as far as like you know the creative change in the book, which is. I mean, I'm I'm excited about trying out the new team, but at the same time, I really like the Parker team. I don't want them to go. It is the, okay. This is the perfect time to mention that uh, that uh, over on I think CBR, uh, there was the first inkling from Cullen Bunn about what he's going to be doing with Aquaman as of number forty-one. Mm-hmm. And you know, people have asked me on Facebook, "What do you think about it?" And I've gotten some emails, and I haven't said anything on the shrine about it because I just wanted to sort of like let it simmer for a day or two. Uh, he talks about that the book is going to be kind of like a pulp fantasy story. And they're really going to emphasize the heavy is the head that wears the crown thing. And they're going to be very Atlantis focused, these stories. And I read that and I just thought, wow, that is every single thing I don't want Aquaman to be. <laughs> Literally every single element that I have been talking about for years, I think Aquaman should get away from. And he is putting his pedal to the metal and going in that direction. So that was not the news that I wanted to see, but you know, it doesn't matter whatever Aquaman comic is produced. I'm going to buy it obviously. And I'm going to give it a chance because you know, who knows you'd surprise me. I, I was pretty scared when Jeff Johns was leaving 
And Parker ended up really surprising everybody in a very positive way. So you never know. But just, I will say, based on what I read, I was just like, oh, no. I would have pounded my head on the desk, but I was at work, and it would have caused the tension. Well, if you think about it, like like you just said with Parker, we didn't know. And, and I bet if we had read an interview with Parker early on, it would have been like, yeah, I'm going to go back to Aquaman's roots, and I'm going to make him a monster hunter. Probably, and, and, right. there's, and there's going to be a lot of Atlantis stuff. Which is what he did. And so it'd probably be like, oh, crap. That sounds yeah. terrible. Well, yeah, it's all about how you do it, not necessarily. Right. Yeah. So. so this could be fantastic. We could be on the verge of a, you know, you said a couple of months ago that the Parker era of Aquaman is somebody's Aquaman. Yes, yeah. people have already said that this is their favorite version. And, some, and someone Cullen's going to be. And that's great. So we'll find out. We'll get there. We'll find out. Can't be worse than the second half of Sword of Atlantis. So. See, now I like that. <laughs> I like the first half of Sword of Atlantis. I did not a, not a fan of the second half of Sword of Atlantis. Okay. Uh, most people are not. So, And most people are right. So, all right. Well, there's the verdict. Aquaman number 39. And um, I'm looking forward to the conclusion. And, again, the art just – I hope Sean Parsons does come back to, to finish it up. He kind of deserves Me to. Me too. Me too. But, um, but Hope really does some really cool inks. So I really dug that. So, All righty, folks. Next up. The Fury of Firestorm, the Nuclear Man, annual number one. This was a doozy, folks. This is picking up right after issue number 18 that we covered last month. I will not be as succinct as Mr. Kelly in my review, but I will do my best. If you want to pick up a copy of this and get that newsprint smell, fresh newsprint smell, you're going to have to jump in your... I don't know what your your wayback machine. I've used that a few too many times. Uh, give me something. I think we've, I think time we've run out of time commander ship. You're gonna have to jump in your time commander right. ship and go back to August 25th, 1983. August 25th, 1983. The dog days of summer here, folks. Hotter than hell outside, and it's time for some firestorm. So this is a Jerry Conway, Roden Rodriguez, Adam Kubert, and Carl Gafford joint as usual. However, the pencils are by newcomer Rafael Cannon. Let's give him a round of applause, folks. Woo! Welcome to the book, Rafael. This is exciting. This is his. You know, this is his very first published comic book, right here. Wow, I, uh, that's, that's a that's a big debut. It's a hell of an achievement, especially how good he did. I, I posted it on Twitter the other night just how much I enjoyed rereading this. Sorry, spoilers. And he actually responded saying it was his first comic he had published. So I was like, wow, I, I knew it was early in his career. I didn't realize it was his first. So that's awesome. So let's see. Um, you know, one of the big things that jumps out, and, and we'll dive into this more, but just how much on model his, his Firestorm is it's it's amazing, especially for being his first work. Okay, so the cover, very dynamic cover. Tokamak is battling Firestorm in the water. Flying behind them is Firehawk, and there's helicopters in the sky. I didn't realize till last night what's going on here in the cover. All these years, I just thought it was a cool cover, but there's a lot more going on here than I thought at first. For example, Tokamak is standing up. Beating down Firestorm. Firestorm is sort of collapsing down. It sort of gives you the, the impression of Firestorm's being defeated. I, I never noticed this subliminally what was going on there. More importantly, what I didn't realize is they're standing in the reflecting pool of Washington, D.C., and that's the Washington Monument behind them. I never figured that out till now. Oh, yeah, I wouldn't have figured. Yeah. I mean, I've read the story, and now it makes sense, but, yeah, I wouldn't have been able to tell from the cover. Yeah, I just never put it together. I was like, oh, wow, this cover's, like, so much cooler now, especially since I went to Washington, D.C. last summer. So... 
All right, so the book opens up. Firestorm is shrinking. He has been wrapped up in these plasma rings, which are similar to a plasma bottle, which is used to uh, control nuclear reactions. Normally, uh, when someone is trapped inside these things by tokamak, it kills them, but due to Firestorm's unique structure, he's actually just shrinking. Uh, after a couple of pages, Ronnie actually comes up with a solution, which is essentially nuclear violence. He blasts a bunch of stuff, creates a nuclear explosion, which frees them. Meanwhile, while all this is going on, Tokamak is running wild at this hospital that he's been attacking because he's trying to kidnap Lorraine Riley, his former uh, hostage and brainwashed agent. So he, he faces her, uh, finds, out, he finds out the brainwashing still works, and kidnaps her. And then he himself has a bit of a moment of weakness. You find out that maybe he's not as powerful as we thought, or maybe his powers aren't working quite the way we thought. He flies off to his ship, which is hovering up above them. And his scientist, Crony, says, sir, let's get you out of that armory. He actually attacks his own scientist going, I'm never taking this armor off. You're crazy. And they throw Lorraine Riley in the, the lockup with her dad. Tokamak is studying in the Darth Vader school of leadership. That's right. Choke it. <laughs> Choke a bitch. Uh, then we see Firestorm as he's escaping from this nuclear reaction. He sucks up all the radiation. And uh, he's, fi he's fixing the damage to the New York city. Um, meanwhile, the New York Police Department folks have been injured at, tell him where they saw Tokamak go and ask him to give him, paste him one for the, for the NYPD. Meanwhile, we get a cutaway scene of the Day family, which is Doreen Day, uh, Ronnie Raymond's horrible girlfriend, and her dad, who's a police officer. They're investigating some suspicious stuff about Ronnie, because Ronnie's dad was murdered a couple issues ago. And Ronnie mentioned something about someone named Shoeshine that was out to get them. Well, the dad has certainly heard of Shoeshine. He's a big-time gangster. So they start to do some investigation. They start off in the police department. They end up at a restaurant with a friend who's a, who's, who's a Fed or a former Fed. And they find out there's something going on here with the Raymond family and Shoeshine that involves the Feds. What's that about? Meanwhile, Ronnie and Professor can't find Tokamak, so they go back to get Professor Stein's clothes at Harry Carew's. And who's there but the lilac-tinted whore... Uh, Clarissa, Clarissa Clemens, Professor Stein's old wife, and just to prove how much of a horrible tramp she is, she, oh my God. she sees Stein out of the corner of her mind, her corner of her eye, and just jumps on Harry and starts making out with him to make Stein jealous. Keep in mind, a few issues ago, we're pretty sure she slept with Harry to steal something out of his apartment. Anyway, so. Um, then Stein and, and Ronnie talk with Harry for a little while, and, and suddenly the walls break, burst open, and in flies the Enforcer, the new one, Micah, the lady. She attacks. She tries. She's trying to capture Martin Stein for Tokamak, uh, and they transform into Firestorm. They turn it around and actually capture the Enforcer instead. Then we go to Hewitt's mansion, the guy who's actually Tokamak, and we find out that he is ready to kill... Um, Senator Riley and his daughter Lorraine Riley for failing, for being a failure for what he needs. Multiplex is there, who's kind of been one of his crony, decides to skip out. He's like, I'm out of here. Tokamak is like seven kinds of nuts. So as he goes to leave, he bumps into Firestorm, who's kind of tracked all this down, is sort of putting all the pieces together. Firestorm grabs Multiplex. Meanwhile, Henry Hewitt and Tokam as Tokamak flies away with the Rileys on his way to Washington, D.C. Now Firestorm has to grab Multiplex, and they go after Tokamak. And basically all this is just setting the stage to have the battle in Washington, D.C. Nice big fight in Washington, D.C. between Tokamak and Firestorm. There's a nice bit where Firestorm animates a Thomas Jefferson statue, and he pastes Tokamak one, which is nice. Then you've got sort of a double jeopardy going on while Firestorm's fighting Tokamak. Lorraine Riley and her dad are falling out of a plane, and they're looking, looks like they're plummeting to their deaths, but she transforms, she realizes she, who, that she has this power, she transforms into Firehawk, 
and save her and her dad, although he blacked out and isn't aware of any of it. Then you get Firestorm and Firehawk together, facing Tokamak, and Firehawk actually gives the final blow, taking out Tokamak. He goes critical, Firestorm absorbs the radiation, and then the, then the smooching gets started. Firehawk and Firestorm making out. Then, uh, shortly right after that, feeling like a complete heel for cheating on his girlfriend, Ronnie goes home, or to to the Day's house, where he's staying, Doreen's house, and he's confronted by a whole bunch of people. It looks like a, you know, a 1980s intervention going on. But what he finds out is his principal's there, does a big old info dump about how Ronnie's dad, Ed Raymond, used to be named Ed Rockwell. He was an investigative journalist. He was tracing down the shoeshine story, um... It's Shoeshine went to jail. The same day he went to jail, um, they somebody, one of the mobsters that worked for Shoeshine, set a, bo- a car bomb in the Rockwell's car and killed Ronnie's mother. That's why Ronnie's mother has never been seen. She died in that accident. All this happened while Ronnie was an infant. Ed Rockwell then went into the witness protection program. It became Ed Raymond. So that tells us that Ronnie Raymond's birth name is actually Ronnie Rockwell. Anyway, so we find out all this, and we find out the reason why there was an attack on the house um, where Ronnie saw the explosion and thought his father died because that was actually a gangster setting a bomb to try and take out Ed Rockwell. But in reality, Ed Rockwell is still, Ed Raymond is still alive! So Ronnie and his father are reunited. And it's a touching moment where they hug and um, because the man who died in the explosion was actually the gangster setting the bomb. And they say there's time to explain everything later. Right now, it's just about Ronnie and his dad with his dad being alive. Whew. Sorry, that was a lot of information, but it's a 40-page annual, big old story that's been going, building to six issues now. What would you think of it, Rob? Oh, I thought it was great. It was fun. Uh, a little bit of context is that at the time when this came out, mm-hmm. DC had not done annuals for, like, years, years yeah. and years and years. I don't think they did any annuals in the 70s at all. Oh. Um, and then, so when they came back, DC they ran a bunch of house ads uh, extolling the virtues of the annuals and basically saying, like, bringing back a summer tradition. And it was the annuals. And they had these little half-page ads featuring different annual covers. And I remember being so excited because it really had, like, such a summery feel to it. You know, you're out of school and you're like, oh, man, I get an extra issue's worth of my favorite books plus Legion of Superheroes. And it was, like, just... <laughs> So, like, and the annuals are always really fun. The All-Star Squadron annual, that one, that first one is really fun. The Justice League annual is super fun. They fight Dr. Destiny. So I really remember these were really enjoyable issues, the ones that I read. And so this one, I was coming to it cold, and I didn't know anything about the Ed Raymond thing. I didn't – that was a genuine surprise. Yeah, the father coming back. I didn't know any of that stuff at all. Um, I really enjoyed it. It's it's It was a super – a whole lot of fun. Raphael Kennan does some nice work here. There's some poses that are a little stiff, but as you said, this is his first published work. It's an amazing accomplishment uh, for somebody who's doing his first published job. First of all, just to do a 40-page story, no matter how long it took him, uh, but just for it to look this good, this consistent over this many pages, and he takes over quite well for Pat Broderick. I mean, Ron Rodriguez helps. Yeah. It helps give that visual consistency, which we've talked about. But uh, no, I thought it was a really fun bit. I love the thing with Thomas Jefferson. I love Tuckamack squeezing those guys, you know, the, the squeezing those guys' faces, uh, the enforcer. Yeah, there was just a bunch of great moments. It, it feels like a nice payoff to this ongoing story. Yeah, and it's fair to mention. I mean, this, the, just to remind you, this arc is this has been the sixth issue now. You know, issue fourteen was when the enforcer attacked Stein. Issue fifteen was multiplexing the enforcer versus Firestorm. Sixteen was Ronnie's dad dying. The whole psychology issue. Seventeen was the introduction of Firehawk. Eighteen was the introduction of Tokamak. And then this is the payoff. I mean. 
What a great arc. This is a trade paperback waiting this, to happen. This must be a great... Oh, yeah, I was going to say, this must be a great trade paperback. <laughs> it so needs to be collected. It really does. And um, If only Firestorm was on television. Right. If there would be some sort of like media tie-in that they could do. <laughs> I, I'll just say it here. I am actually planning to start like a petition. Uh, and I'm not kidding. I'm going to start. No, I know. I know you're not. I'm going to start some sort of petition, basically to DC, saying, um, "Please collect the Fury of Firestorm." Here's a bunch of people that want to give you our money. We want to give you money. Please print it. It is the perfect time, tying in with the popularity on TV. Print the ones that actually sold well. Don't reprint the stuff that didn't sell well, which is what they've been doing so far. Um, anyway, I'll tell you guys more about that when I get off my butt and finally do it. But in regard to the annual, I did not do it justice in my recap. It was very fast-paced, just sort of scattershot. Probably didn't even make a lot of sense unless you've read it. Don't don't let that scare you away. Go find the annual and read it. It's so damn good. So just to talk about some of the stuff, like Tokamak looks amazing. Like we talked about last issue when he was drawn by uh, George Tuska, he was kind of like a big fat metal ridiculous guy. Here, like on the third page, where you can see the different shapes of the pouches and all the different detail that can and put on page three, he's still yes large, but he just looks really cool and detailed and metal and, ref- and refined. It had to be a pain to draw every panel. Dude, between him and um, and Roden Rodriguez, I mean, they did a tremendous amount of backgrounds in this thing. There's a lot of cityscape detail. These guys went all out. I love the way Tokamak's face looks also, by the way, inside the visor. There's a lot of really cool ways they kind of make the visor look smoky or, or hard to see through, and they do a, a really nice effect on that. Page 5, I do have to bring up uh, where Lorraine is the, – the brainwashing kicks back in, and she's in the uh, outside the hospital – I mean, it's a really sexist, submissive panel. Even I had had a problem with it, which is saying a lot. So there was definitely some cheesecake thrown in there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, she's all bent over in a gown, and she's saying the word "slave," and she's like, "It's really bad." I mean, some someone could write a paper on that. However, I will say she is smoking hot, and uh, I am happy to say also this is about the time in history. And it may have happened an issue or two ago too, where Lorraine's hair is gi- the perm is giving way to wavy hair. Which makes me very happy because I was never a fan of the perm. So, <laughs> you know, it's bouncing and behaving. I, I, you know, when you got a crush on somebody, you know how you like them to look. It's just that simple. So, let's see the the nuclear explosion on page eleven looks great when Firestorm bursts out of the plasma rings and you know looks like he's destroying New York City. But there's this great as it's exploding. It's an almost full-page splash. The, the firemen are actually being blown back by the force of the explosion. It looks, it looks really great. I mean, just really nice touches there. Again, that's page 11. Page 14 is something that anyone, you know, little Chad Bokelman probably doesn't even know what's going on in this page because uh, Dorian Day's dad is looking at it, what's called a microfiche projector. So <laughs> I, just, I thought he did a really nice job with the lighting showing that it's a microfiche projector. I was like, oh, wow, yeah, I hadn't thought about those in years. I used to have one myself personally. Let's see. There, I, I do like when the enforcer attacks at Harry's uh, Harry's apartment. She's so new to the power, she actually flies through the wall and goes back out the ceiling the other side because she missed, <laughs> which is hilarious. It's just a nice touch. It's subtle. Yet they don't waste panels doing it. It's in the background of a panel. It's just like, oh, I screwed up. But it's, it's just well done. I like it. It's a funny bit. It's definitely a funny bit. Yep. I love the bit where Professor Stein jumps out the hole in the wall, plummeting to his death knowing that Ronnie is going to trigger the Firestorm reaction. Therefore, Stein would disappear 
and the enforcer has leapt after him, Stein disappears and Firestorm can come up right behind him. That was a brilliant tactical move. That was just really cool. And then when they transform the Camelot sign into a hand, that hand looks great, by the way. Just a lot of detail on that hand. Looks really, really cool. The one that grabs uh, the enforcer. Dig that. Page 30 has a really beautiful uh, half-page splash of Firehawk transforming in midair with her father. As when they're plummeting out of the plane, she transforms to Firehawk. Just a gorgeous thing with huge flaming wings everywhere. It's just a nice way to represent Firehawk to the audience. Really nice. And the final two things I want to talk about. The last page of the actual story, when Ronnie's reunited with his dad and he's hugging his dad, you can see the body language in Ronnie of its, its complete exhaustion, relief, sobbing as he's hugging his dad. And his dad's sort of stiff and upright, but Ronnie is just, you can see in his language, body language, that he has just collapsed into his dad. And that's just touching. I, I'm not going to lie, I got teary-eyed when I read this. And I've read this thing several times. Um, it just, it got to me. So, And then, are you reading a hard copy, or are you reading like a digital thing? I have a digital. Okay, did it include the last page, the pinup? The pinup, the pinup's really nice. Yeah, I love it. It's, it, it's a little busy for a trade paperback cover, but it is a nice celebration of this arc. You know, you've got Multiplex, you've got the Enforcer, you've got Tokamak, you've got Firehawk, you've got Firestorm. Yeah, there'd be nowhere to put the logo and right. stuff like that. But it's it's as close as we're going to get. You know, it's it's nice. So, oof, man, I just, I love this comic so much. I really do. I think I've hit all my notes on it. But, um, folks, we've been talking about it now for six months. Uh, Rob, how, how was it? Like the reveal about Ed Raymond, how, how was that for you? Was it cheesy? Was it, oh, wow, that's nice? Was it, what, what was the... No, I didn't think it was cheesy. I thought it was, I mean, it's comic book melodrama, you know? Yeah. I mean, you know, the perfect, oh, not really dead, you know? I mean, again, comics, if you can't find the body, not dead. But I didn't know <laughs> that. Uh, you know, I just, I didn't really, I didn't know that. I didn't think too hard about it. Clearly, I don't think too hard about much of anything. Uh, but, uh, you know, no, I was genuinely like, I mean, it wasn't like totally shocked, like, you know, but I thought, oh, that's kind of a fun thing. Um, from what I remember, the, the, again, going back to the, the whole thing of the annuals, most of the annuals at the time were not the conclusion to a story or part of the main book. They were done as their own thing. Mm-hmm. So I think Jerry was unique in that he was doing, you know, this is the conclusion to a to a half year long arc, which was that's a that's a fun thing. That's a, I mean that's a really like big blockbuster way to end it. You know, is to yeah. do all these sort of you know regular regular regular, and then the conclusion is bang double length. You know, so yeah, it's extraordinarily fun. It's it's what it should be, and it's it is like you know what Firestorm sort of reputation sits on. There are these original stories where you know Jerry was laying all the the, the foundation of all the characters and then the interactions and stuff, and it's what's I mean, I think it's, this is the stuff that, the, you know, this, the Broderick, and then the Kyan, the Kyan and years, which was when Firestorm was like DC's number one selling book or number, number two selling book. Um, you know, this is why Firestorm continues to endure years later. It's because of the, 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 the goodwill, I think, built up by these stories. Yeah, that's nice. That's a good way to put it. Very eloquent. Now, when, when was, the, like, the, the Judas contract for Titans? Was That wasn't the same year, was it? That was in eighty. That was right around when D, when all DC's books went to seventy five cents. So I think that was like a year after this. So, um, okay. but there there was a point where Firestorm was, I think, like one of their top two. Yeah, yeah, DC absolutely. Titles. Well, it was it was Titans and Legion and Firestorm were kind of like the top top items, and Firestorm was definitely one of their top selling books in the direct market. Hmm. I, I didn't know that. Okay, that's yeah. Anyway, all right, great comic, really exciting. Definitely go pick them up, guys. Um, love the hell out of it. And, you know, it's 
the, the Raymond, the Ed Raymond arc about him, somebody ha- haunting him sort of thing, actually goes all the way back to the original series, like the original five issues. There were hints in there about this, and actually the unpublished sixth issue contradicts a lot of this, involves the Shoeshine family and all that, and, and catching up with all that. So um, I'm, I'm glad the sixth issue didn't get published so that we could get this story arc instead. <laughs> all right. So we loved that. That was great. Then we jump forward next to Firestorm, Fury of Firestorm number 19. Now, you mentioned that, you know, how cool is it that you get an extra comic that, you know, that year? Well, really you didn't in Firestorm's case because issue 18 came out in August. The, the annual came out in August. There was no Firestorm comic in September, crazy enough. And then issue 19 came out in October. So they kind of skipped a month there. It's, it was more like probably six or seven weeks rather than a full eight weeks or whatever. But it's still, there was a, there was definitely some skippage there. So, Fury of Firestorm, number 19, cover dated January 1984. Um, go ahead and jump in your Sid Rat. Let's see who gets that one. And travel back to October 6th, 1983, if you want to pick up a fresh copy of this off the newsstand, folks. You can still smell the pollen on the book. Uh, the cover shows Firestorm drawn by Ed Hannigan and Dick Giordano. This is the first Hannigan cover. And Firestorm is sort of reeling back, and there is this uh, vegetable man climbing up out of a crevice in the ground, and there's a big, bold statement that says, Call my killer Goldenrod! And the cover credits across the top are actually incorrect, because they say Jerry Conway, Rafael Kalen, and Roden Rodriguez. Now, I will say, I do sort of like the cover. I love the Call My Killer Goldenrod line. I think that's great. That's a really strong, bold tagline. I think Firestorm looks really nice. Seeing this makes me think that some of the stock art for Firestorm that I've seen from the 80s may have been done by Hannigan. Because this looks very much like a lot of the stock art for Firestorm I've seen from the 80s. It's quite possible. So, um, thoughts on the cover before I go any further? Oh, I think it's great. I, I love it. I mean, Ed Hannigan was a great... He did a lot of DC covers in the 80s. That was a cover designer. I think st- staging-wise, it's great. Um, this villain is not intrinsically all that scary-looking, so this pose makes him look kind of creepy because you don't see his face and stuff like that. So, no, I think it's a really nice cover. Yeah, it, you know, it's the, the villain, the, the story pacing, the artist, quite honestly, all of this issue would be great for a like a weird, quote-unquote weird comic from DC in, in the 70s or 80s. Like, weird stories or weird adventures or whatever they were called, the different weird titles were. You know, he's a great character for one of those weird titles, you know, one of those Twilight Zone-type comics. And his the cover with him coming out of there looks like a perfect cover for that, too. So I enjoy I enjoy the cover. So, all right, folks, this is the guest issue. I guess after the, the six months of doing the big story and doing the huge annual, they had to bring in some, uh, some other folks to help out. Story is by Jerry Conway and check it. Carla Conway as well, which I believe is Jerry's first wife. Art is by Gene Colon and Rick Magyar. Uh, letters by John Costanza. And our only returning regular folk is Carl Gafford, who's the colorist. And quite honestly, I don't know that um, Gene Colon's art is served well by Carl's colors. So, um, I guess, you know, we've already hinted at it. I'm going to be as nice as possible, but Gene Colon was not the right artist for this particular issue. Gene Colan is an amazing artist. He's got a great, great dark gothic style, especially, and I don't know if gothic's quite the right word, but especially in this period in the 80s, that very dark tale sort of thing is really beautiful, but Firestorm is a bright, shiny character, and it doesn't work that great with Firestorm. The scenes where it's just a human being look great. 
they look at the cops, the the folks that are you know that are involved that in the story that are just straight humans look great. But when you get to the firestorm scenes and even some of the golden run scenes, it, it just it starts to not hold together. So here's a big recap of the story. The story opens and there's a night watchman who is thinking to himself about how he's about to retire to Tampa, Florida, which by the way is a little bit overrated. Anyway, and he's murdered by uh, the, our lead villain, Goldenrod. He, he, he coats him in pollen to the point where the guy has an allergic reaction and dies. Now, Goldenrod, just so you know what he looks like, he is essentially... He looks like the, he looks like the Floronic Man is what he looks like. He looks a lot like the Floronic Man with a lot of yellow. Whole lot of yellow. That's a, I hadn't thought about that. That's a good shortcut. Floronic Man. There you go, folks. Go look it up. Then um, Firestorm is out sort of unusually patrolling, looking for crimes to help solve, notices there's some sort of hubbub with a bunch of cops, flies down there, talks to the cops, specifically a cop eating a candy bar through most of the scene for some reason. Then they, they say there's been a murder. Firestorm helps investigate. They discover there's been this plant that has broken through an elevator. Firestorm notices it has gone up the elevator shaft to the fourth floor. So then they follow to the fourth floor and they go into a uh, legal office. Firestorm just happens to find a file folder on the ground covered in pollen, and it's for something called the Olin's Lab. Then we spend a completely unnecessary four pages of Firestorm trying to get a phone book from some street toughs, and you get a little bit of a fight. Then he goes to Olin's Lab, where they stumble across, where Firestorm stumbles across Golden, Goldenrod. And there's a big battle, there's a lot of pollen shooting and stuff. Firestorm has a very bad allergic reaction, and then... Um, once, once uh, Goldenrod escapes, Firestorm does some investigative research, and they find out that uh, Goldenrod was researching a drug called Nueve Fed, which turns out to be an, an experimental antihistamine that was not approved by the FDA. And then you find out that it was being developed by a guy named Bruce Bonwit, which Professor Stein knows to be a uh, not reputable drug exper- uh, drug developer. So they go to Bruce Boswitz's house. They find out it's already been overrun with vines and such. They realize they're too late. Boswit is also the victim of this pollen, is having a horrible allergic reaction. And when I say allergic reaction, folks, I don't mean like he's got a runny nose. I mean like his whole face is puffy. He can't see. He really can't breathe. He's, he's going into some sort of I don't know if it's the right, anaphylactic shock, is that the right phrase? Yeah, anaphylactic, yeah. Okay, wow, I used a big word. So, and he's dying, is what it, but he, before he dies, he gives us a nice big info dump on how he was developing this drug, and he, they decided to move to human trials, but they had to kind of do them on the down low, they weren't doing them legally, so they hired this guy named Fred Delmar, who was a down-on-his-luck uh, lawyer, and they, Fred, they gave him the drug, and he sort of died. And by sort of, I mean they thought he died, but he didn't really. And they threw him in a, dutch, in a ditch, and he then continued a metamorphosis, and he turned into Goldenrod, essentially. At this point, Bonwit dies. Goldenrod shows up. There's a big fight. Firestorm is... And here's where Goldenrod makes a very interesting villain for Firestorm. Firestorm cannot directly affect Goldenrod, because his powers don't work on anything organic. So from that aspect, he's a very clever villain to put Firestorm up against. And they actually come up with some very clever methods for Firestorm to battle. Like Firestorm blasts the ground underneath Goldenrod to create a, crev- a crevice, which is very clever. He does other things. He can't. Well, he can't blast Goldenrod directly. He does other things to affect Goldenrod. He, ca- he blasts a pipe to cause it to explode. Even though, he- so they're just clever things that they came up with. So, uh, Goldenrod's trapped in the crevice. He can't get out, and he sort of in- explodes out of the crevice, really uh, in-, in a mist form. Basically, what's happening is he is he is turned into a cloud and is seeding, and that is the end of the story. So, there we go. Um, I I have some things to say about it, Rob. What what do you got to say? 
All right, well, like we hinted at, Gene Colan is completely inappropriate for this character. Not for the story, necessarily, because Conway did try and write a kind of creepy-ish, mm-hmm. swamp, swamp thing-ish little story. But I get the sense Gene Colan got, like, the, the reference for Firestorm. I was just like, what the hell am I supposed to do with this? <laughs> like, it just get this guy. Because in so many different panels, he drapes Firestorm in shadow, trying to give him a moody look, and it just doesn't work. Firestorm just is not that character. So, I, as everyone knows, I love Gene Colan. I always have, but he's just a completely wrong choice for Firestorm. Um, and I'm a little ashamed to admit, it took me about half this book before I figured out that Goldenrod is, was not, in fact, the Floronic Man. <laughs> I, I, th- I thought he was—he uh, looks so much like the Floronic Man that I thought he was maybe going under a different name or something. I'm like, well, this is the Floronic Man. Now, why do they keep calling him Goldenrod? And then I'm like, wait, no, this is a comp- okay. This is a different guy. Uh, but I mean, he looks exactly like him. I mean, he's more yellowy, but that's about it. Um, so that, that that felt kind of dumb there. Um, there's some weird. Just in terms of panel layouts, um, that, that sequence you mentioned that goes on forever, the four pages yeah. of, of Firestorm uh, with the with the Tufts and uh, Atlanta is explaining everything about the parallel world. Uh, there's these <laughs> the, there's these there, there's one page where he converts the, 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 the gang members clothes into like a baby's bonnet. There's all this dead space where there's no panels. It's just white. It just looks very strange. Uh, it's got to be filler. It's got to be that. I'm sorry, I'm interrupting you, but I mean, one thing Gene uh, Jerry Conway's excellent at is creating a three act story. I mean, he's exceptional. If you look at almost all of his history uh, of comics, he does a three act story very, very well, very solidly. You get a good first, second, and third act. And I think what happened was here, um, you know, Carlo was involved writing some of this, so somewhere along the lines, the story had a really strong first act and a really strong third act and was missing a second act, it seems like. Or maybe there wasn't enough of a second or, or first or third and they just had to stretch out a second act and there just wasn't anything there. I mean, that's what it seems like to me. It, well, this the way this particular page is laid out on the page nine, and maybe we should put it up on the Tumblr when the time comes just so people can see what we're talking about. Like, there's just so much dead space, it makes me think that the book was a page short and, like, they had to, like, cut some panels and rearrange them to fill the space. So it's just, it's very odd. It's just a very odd layout. Um, well, it's, it's actually, it's almost identical to the layout on page one, except on page one he uses black. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. It could be. It, it, again, it just feels like there's not enough panels here to fill mm. the book. Uh, so, he said, and the opening is suitably creepy. So, I mean, like, when you see the first couple pages of Golden, uh, Floronic Man, I mean, the Goldenrod attacking... It you know it feels like oh this will this Gene Collins the perfect choice and then the minute Firestorm enters you're just like oh yeah no no this is just not the right <laughs> uh, you know so I mean there's a reason why Gene Collins didn't like draw a lot of Flash or Green Lantern you know <laughs> I mean, they gave him Batman well, Daredevil he used Dr. to do a great Daredevil yeah you know you know what would have made this a lot better I realized last night I was reading it was if they had sort of removed Firestorm from the book entirely I don't know how they could have like done it but it made the story about Ronnie and the Professor. That would have been interesting. Because yeah. if it was all human figures and not, again, the bright, shiny yeah. uh, Firestorm, you know, doing the professor – because the professor played a critical role in this. I mean his history, his knowledge of this stuff was important. And so if they had done all of this with Ronnie and the professor, um, it could have really worked well. Because like you said, the story started very strong. You know, The scenes with the Night Watchman 
he, he are really gorgeous. I mean, they're beautiful colon pages. You know, and they get into, as you said, the Floronic Man attacks. And those, even those, again. <laughs> now we're just out now calling it we're, we're, being, we're being really bad. But, and I go back to those, in DC's quote unquote weird titles they were doing, which were like the anthology books, and again, very much like Twilight Zone stories. Right, the unexpected. Yeah. History, I mean, you get that feeling from this. And that's, that's what this story feels like, because the moodiness and the way Conway even wrote to, Con, to Gene Colan's strength, like some of the dialogue boxes are very flowery language, like, you know, fits very well with it. And so it feels like one of those books. So I, I feel like, again, if you it just replaced it, it would have worked. Um, go ahead. I'm sorry. I, I no, totally interrupted you. No, bring that no, up. It's about it. Like I said, it just, it's, I love Gene's stuff, and I love his layouts, and I love his, his panel designs. I mean, it's just he and him and Firestorm are just not – he just never got a handle on the character. And, you know, he was just an odd choice. I think he clearly, as you mentioned in the letters page and last you Jerry's just a big fan of Gene Colan, who would be – and this was just clearly like a thrill for him to get Jerry to do this, which which is fine. It's just not, you know, it's just not, it's just not the right mix. But, hey, what can you do? It was a good experiment. It was definitely worthwhile. It could have, you know, again, it may have turned out to be one of the greatest issues ever. Uh, I will tell you that up until last night for my reread, this was my least favorite issue in the entire series. Mm-hmm. Um, now I've got a lot more appreciation for it. I mean, I'm still not thrilled with the way the issue went, but... I saw a lot more things I liked in it than I used to, so because I, I appreciate Gene Colan a lot more now than when I read this when I was right, you know, right, right. thirteen years old or whatever. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it, I, I, we're nineteen issues into the series, and this is the first one that's a bit of a miss. Every other issue has been a huge success, you know. So it's okay; it, yeah. it happens. Next issue, next issue strong. Don't worry. Is this the only time uh, Goldrod ever appeared? Oh yeah, this is it? Oh yeah. Oh, okay. All right. <laughs> well, except when he, uh, you know, was part of the New Guardians. <laughs> and and he was in the Batman and Robin the movie. And he was in uh, the the Swamp Thing issues. So. All right, all right. We. Should... <laughs> Could you imagine if Toddleben had drawn this thing though? And or Toddleben you know, said. I think, yeah, I mean, you would have been a really creepy... We got to see what that looked like, Firestorm drawn by Toddleton. Oh, it's true. They were, he, he appeared in a Swamp Thing issue, didn't he? Yes, yeah. he did, along with the rest of the JLA, very, very, very briefly. But, yeah, <laughs> that would have been nightmarish. Oh, my gosh, yeah. Well, folks, because this, uh, you know, we covered three issues this time, one of them being a big, fat annual, um, we're going to hold off on the feedback till next time. So we will combine the feedback from the previous uh Review issue or episode? Yeah, we were trying to we were trying to get caught up on the we were falling behind on the review episodes, so we caught up a little by doing them like two and three weeks. So yeah, well, why don't you tell the folks where they can find the Tumblr? Fireandwaterpodcast.tumblr.com, and the email is firewaterpodcast at comcast.net. And we'll throw some of these awesome panels uh, from different books. Uh, of the three we've covered here, we'll throw some of those up on the Tumblr for you to view. Definitely check those out. You can also find my good friend Rob. Well, I, I call him my good friend. I don't really mean it. But you can find him at AquamanShrine.net. He's also on Facebook, Twitter, and Google Plus under Aquaman Shrine, or the Aquaman Shrine in some cases. You can find me at FirestormFan.com. You can find me uh, on the social medias as well under FirestormFan on Facebook, Twitter, Google Plus, Instagram, and Tumblr. And then uh, I guess that's it for now, folks. Until next time, uh, fan the flame and ride the wave. Aquaman and Firestorm fighting crime together. Soak them down or burn them up. No one does it better. Whenever you find trouble, they'll always be there to catch them in a bubble or even
even torch their hair Stand for truth and justice And see on land and air Firestorm and Aquaman They make a super fair Aquaman and Firestorm Super friends forever Yeah! Personal note. My work would proceed faster if Dr. Woodrow weren't always whisking my venom samples back to his mysterious Gilgamesh wing. Why won't he let me into his lab?